Welcome to another episode of Men's Bible Study. We're welcomed by our children's pastor, Dave Marsh, as he kicks off our brand new series, James, Doing the Right Work the Right Way. If you missed today's Bible study, be sure to be here next week at Cottonwood Creek Church, Tuesday at 6 a.m. as we continue our series. Now, let's hear from Pastor Dave. So today, uh, we're going to look at some struggles of the wills. And so if you have children at all, you have an understanding of what it is to have a struggle of the wills. If you're married or have been married, you understand what it is to have a struggle uh, of the wills. We have struggles of the wills in uh, every area of our life. Uh, If we spend any time at all with other people, we know that. But we also have a struggle of wills uh, within uh, our spiritual life, within our walk with God. And so we're gonna look at some of that uh, this morning. We're gonna look at one verse. Uh, So that next slide, we're gonna look at Philippians chapter two and verses 12 and 13. And I have, uh, I cut it off there right to the point here in Philippians chapter two. Paul says, continue, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. See, first, what Paul is not saying, of course, is God is not calling us to work for our salvation, right? We know that salvation is free, that Jesus Christ came and died for our sins as a free gift. And that is offered to us by the grace of God through faith. And so God is not telling us through Paul's words that we're to work for our salvation. But once we are saved, once we receive that free gift of salvation, and we have God himself, his Holy Spirit living in us, then God has called us to work out that salvation with Christ himself working in and through us. And so he wants us, God wants us to get the most out of this salvation as we walk this earth. As we continue in this world, until he calls us home, God has a plan for us. He has a will for us to work out through us uh, and in us. Now, uh, we know there's a struggle of those wills that goes on uh, in our life occurring within us. That struggle occurs even after salvation. It would be great if once we were saved, that human nature, that human heart that we were born with would just automatically be transformed completely. But that part of our salvation is not yet complete until we're home with Christ and we get that new resurrected life and body. But for now, we're in a struggle and we know that struggle. And I bet if I asked you to, sh- to show hands, I bet almost all of us, except one, a couple I can, I can pick out right now, but I won't name them, a couple of you, Uh, all of us would say, yeah, I want God's will for my life. I want God's will to occur in my life. I want God to do what he wants with my life. In fact, I bet you've prayed that. I bet you've prayed that prayer. God, please let your will be done. I've prayed that. But then sometimes I take that back and I want to do what I want to do. And so, but to do 
God's will and to walk with God through this struggle, we have to identify the three main wills that are there in my life for me. Next slide. First, we need to recognize there are those three wills. Three wills. Satan. Satan has a will for you and for me. I have a will for myself. I have a will for me in my life. And God has a will for me. Now, I didn't mention the fourth will, my wife's will, but because her will falls under one of these other categories, and I'm not gonna tell you which one. No, it depends, no. But yeah, so these are the main wills. I'm sort of joking. Uh, Satan has a will for me. Satan has a will for me. Let's read John 8, 44. You know, Jesus is explaining how he has come from God and he is the Son of God. And of course, the religious leaders are pressing in and denying that and opposing him. And Jesus says, and there's this discussion about who their father is, that Abraham is their father. And by that uh, regard, um, they're set apart. And so they say, who are you, Jesus? We have Abraham as our father. Who's this father you're talking about? And Jesus says, you belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. You see, Satan has desires. His desires are not God's desires. We know that, right? And his desires, he has desires for us. He has desires on our life. And he has desires that are opposed to God. He was a murderer. Here we can see some of his desires by his character. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. We know that's totally opposed to God because God is truth. God is the creator of life. He's a redeemer. He gives life. He creates good, and Satan tears it down. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's Satan's desire, his will for you and for me is to steal and kill and destroy what God has done in our life and what God is doing in our life. And so there's this struggle of wills. Be alert, Paul says, or Peter says, and be of sober mind. Your enemy the devil prowls like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Satan's desire and will for us is to devour our lives so that we have no testimony that we have no confidence in God, that we shrink back in this life and we look just like the rest of this world, and that we have no impact in our families' lives and in the lives of this world as we live out our salvation. Needless to say, Satan's desire, his will, is opposed to God. Next slide. I have a natural will, a natural desire for my own life. And that also is opposed to God. I have my will, and that will often is in conflict with God. Matthew 16, 13, Jesus turned and said to Peter, you remember this, this uh, well-known portion where Jesus begins to reveal to his disciples that he has to go to Jerusalem and suffer and die and then raised again. And Peter, of course, rebuked him. 
and said, not so. And Jesus said, turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You see, that's my natural heart. My natural heart and my natural will has human concerns. I want things to be as they are in this world. I look at this world and I see so much of it that I agree with, and I would rather have that in my life than what God wants in my life. And so I have a natural heart to just take my own will and go my own way, contrary to God. Now, my natural human will, of course, is intertwined with Satan's. You see, Satan is the prince of that domain. He's the prince of those hearts that are opposed to God. That was the heart I was born with. I was born spiritually dead, just like you were. We were born spiritually dead, set apart from God because of sin. And unfortunately, we still carry that sinful heart around. I tell you what, I have 12 grandkids. And it isn't long that as they begin to develop, that you learn that that heart is naturally opposed to God and the things of God, the authority of God, right? Parents are representative of the authority of God and kids soon develop that struggle where they don't want to do what mom and dad says. And so they, that struggle begins very early on in life. And so we see that. We've all been there. We've all done that. And so the next slide. God, of course, has a will for me that fulfills his good purpose. To will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God has a will and he's acting that will out in you and in me if we'll cooperate for his good purpose. You see, my problem is I don't always see God's purpose as good. And that was Adam's, that was Eve's problem. They were tricked into seeing, you know what? How could God be good if he would deny us that? He's keeping something from us. And so in my mind and in my heart of hearts, I don't really believe that God's will is best for me when I oppose his will and I do my own thing. Next slide. So God's will for me is first of all salvation in Christ. God is not willing that any of us should perish. God wants all of us to be saved, to come to Christ. He wants this world to be redeemed. He sent Jesus Christ and he sent you and he sends me to go out and share that gospel and invite others to be disciples. He wants all of us to be saved. That's his will for you and for me. And then once we're saved, his will for us is to become like Christ. Christ likeness, to be sanctified, to be set apart in this world as we walk with him. And that, that's what Paul means when he says, continue to work out your salvation. God is calling us to join with him, join our will with his will in this world and work with him to become more and more like Christ in this world. When I receive Christ, 
By faith, I was saved at that moment, forever justified. Forever justified, made right in the eyes of God. That'll never change. I am justified before God because of my identity in Jesus Christ. But God wants me, as I walk through this world, to take another step and another step, cooperating with his will as we go forward. The words work out are the translation of a Greek word, which means to carry out to ultimate conclusion. To carry out to ultimate conclusion, like a math problem that a student has. That math problem is meant to be worked out completely, fully, to the full conclusion, to the correct answer, the proper answer. And so God is calling us in this life to work out our salvation as we walk with him to the full conclusion of what he's called us to. And you know what that full conclusion looks like, that correct answer? It looks like Christ. It looks just like Jesus Christ looked as he walked in this world. God's will for us is to cooperate with that Holy Spirit in us and complete ourselves in Christ. Now, what does Christ's likeness look like? Next slide. The Apostle Paul describes Christ's likeness early in Philippians, starting in verse 127. Whatever happens, Paul says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. You see, God is calling us to walk in a manner in this world that's worthy of his calling in the gospel. We need to be centered on gospel things, redemption, reconciliation, love, faith, grace, mercy, and Christ-likeness. Stand firm in the spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. God loves unity. God loves unity in his church. Jesus said, you're one with me just like I'm one with the Father. God created the church to be unified. He created you to be unified with you, to be of one mind. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Boy, that's Jesus. Jesus was not frightened by those who opposed him, even to death. God calls us to be bold and courageous as we live out our faith in a crooked generation. Don't be frightened of those who oppose you. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Now, I don't like that one. I don't want to suffer in any way. And oftentimes, that's where my will conflicts with God's. Because most of the time, I'll do whatever I can not to suffer. But God has called you and me to suffer if we're going to live righteous lives for Christ in this world. That will cause some suffering in our lives. Some are called to greater suffering. Paul was called to a greater level of suffering than you and I probably will ever have to endure. There are others in this world that are suffering in ways for their faith that you and I will never be able to appreciate. But there will be suffering, God assures us, if we walk wholly and walk with him and cooperate with his life. By being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and one mind, there's that unity that God loves so much. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, 
Value others above yourselves. That's our Savior, our humble Savior who humbled himself to the point where he gave up the, uh, the rewards of being God. He didn't give up being God, but he gave up all the opportunities that God would have walking this world. Where did I leave off? Not looking, rather in humility, uh, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. You see that like-mindedness that we're supposed to have? That like-mindedness is supposed to be centered on the mind of Christ. We're supposed to look at him and walk just like he did, to think like Jesus did, to consider ourselves like he considered himself as he walked this world. In your relationships with one another, have that same mindset as Jesus Christ, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Listen, as I walk in this world, my natural heart, my natural tendency is to take advantage of every opportunity for me, to take advantage of people even for me, to take advantage of anything that I can see in this world to satisfy my own heart and my own will and my own desires. But Jesus didn't even consider, he didn't even take in as the factor as he walked this life that, hey, I'm God and I don't have to put up with this. No, he submitted himself as he walked this life in humility and he didn't take advantage of people and things and the advantage of being God. And so in this world, we see over and over and over again, people in positions of authority who take advantage of other people, who hurt other people, and they corrupt their authority and their position. And sometimes it's so slight, we don't even see it. We can do it in our marriage as husbands. We can do it in our families as parents. We can do it in the workplace. We can do it in the church as a children's pastor. In my heart of hearts, I can take advantage of people without even knowing and understanding and sensing that that's what I'm really doing. But Jesus submitted himself and did not take advantage of people. He submitted and he served and he gave himself. That's what God is calling you and me to do. That's what God is calling us to work out as we walk in our salvation in this world. Who being in the very nature God didn't consider equality something to be used to his own advantage, but rather made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, a slave. Can you imagine walking into an organization or walking into your home with the attitude that I am the slave here. I'm the slave. I'm the one who's serving here. I'm not the one to be served. I'm the one who's going to serve here. I'm going to submit. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be gentle. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to give of myself in the most humble way. 
And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Christ's likeness looks humble. Christ's likeness looks meek. Not powerless. Of course, Christ had great power. Selfless. And he looked like a servant. Next slide. So it's interesting that God's will for me as I work out my salvation includes fear and trembling. You see, fear and trembling as I work out my salvation seems odd to me to a God who repeatedly throughout his word says, fear not, do not be afraid, be bold, be create, courageous, fear not. But yet, he calls us to work out our salvation with fear, with trembling. So let's look at two types of fear and trembling that are God's will for our life as we work out our salvation in the next slide. Now, as we look at these, neither of these types of fear and trembling should uh, inspire in us anxiety and worry and fret because that's not what God has called you and I as children of God, the loving Father who cares for us who will take care of everything we need in this life. And so that's not the kind of fear and trembling that God's talking about for his children. But both of these types of fear and trembling are essential to the Christian life to becoming Christ-like. Be careful, 1 Corinthians. Uh, let's see, can't read my writing. 10, 13, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. So first of all, there's the sober awareness of ourselves and our enemy. We have to be soberly aware, vigilant, fearful of our own heart and the enemy's heart and desire. Those two opposing wills, there needs to be that fearful, healthy respect and awareness that that is ever present in my life. 1 Corinthians 10, so be careful when you think you are standing firm, you might fall. You see, it's so easy. We can become arrogant and proud the moment we have a moment of success. But God is calling us to be careful because our own heart is just so deceitful. The enemy is so deceitful and tricky. You are tempted, Paul says, in the same way all other human beings are, are, are tempted. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted any more than you can take. But when you are tempted, God will give you a way out. Then you will be able to deal with it. You see, with God's will always comes the power and the provision to do his will. When we're tempted to oppose God's will with our own will, God has already provided us a way to overcome that. God has already provided us a, his will and the power and the provision that goes with that will, but oftentimes we just overrule that with our own will. We decline that, that power, we decline that provision, and we do what we wanna do, right? So that fear and trembling is a vigilance, is an awareness, it's being sober, it's being on guard, aware of Satan's schemes and the world's deceptions, 
And it's a high distrust for myself. I have to remember my heart. My heart is naturally inclined for my, my pride, my arrogance, deceit. It's an alertness to the deceit of my heart in this world. It's taking heed lest we fall. The second type of fear and trembling in the next slide is an awe of holy God. That's the beginning of wisdom. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. We know that from Proverbs 9.10, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Awe of a holy God. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. Almighty God himself is at work in my heart and in your heart. That should create awe and healthy fear in our lives as we consider God's will in my life is to walk with him and to do his, his will. So we're first in awe of God because of his power work in us for, from, for salvation. But once we're saved, that awesome God is at work in us. He puts his Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives, and we're to cooperate with him as we walk. Now, fear and trembling and awe are appropriate in carrying out uh, our salvation towards proper and complete full conclusion because Almighty God is in us. We need to be sober, though. We need to be aware. We need to be on guard and be careful as we walk through this life, as we walk through and carry out the salvation that he's given us. Now, working out our salvation in cooperation with God Almighty is how we reach spiritual maturity. Are you spiritually mature? As you examine your life, would you consider yourself spiritually mature? Having walked with God in this world, cooperating with his will, your will in line with his will as you carry out your life. It's something for all of us to ask ourselves. How many of you have ever been to Luby's Cafeteria? Is that still a thing? No. Is Luby's still a thing? No, no yes? There's one in Waco. Where's the one locally? Wow, okay. I haven't seen a Luby's in a long time. I'm not originally from Texas. I grew I don't even know where Luby's are at, but the only Luby I've ever seen was in Texas. And when I went in the Air Force many, many, many years ago, I was in San Antonio for a year, and my wife and I would occasionally, when we had some extra change to spare, we would go to a Luby, and it was at the mall, I think, and we would go to this Luby's, and I loved this place. I loved grabbing that tray and putting it on that little rack and going down, doing the shuffle, and looking at all that food that was before you. And there were servers back there, and you just got, it was so unlike the Air Force, where you just went down that same shuffle and they just slapped things on there and gave it to you. But here, you could pick whatever you wanted. And you could say, oh, I'll take some of that, but don't put any of that green stuff on there. No, I don't want any of that. And you could just load your tray up with all these things that you wanted. And oftentimes, that's how we approach the will of God. We go to a cafeteria and we say, well, I want that, but I don't want that. I'll take some of this, 
but don't give me any of that. And then we get to the dessert bar, and of course we want all of that. Because you see, we, like I said, in our heart of hearts, we don't really believe God wants what's best for us. We think that'll make us happy and not what God wants in our life. But the thing is that the whole theme of the book of Philippians, Paul writes about having joy in Christ even in this world of suffering. Even in difficult times, Paul says rejoice. Count it all joy. And so Paul is writing to us about joy, and yet we still want to pick and choose what God will give us and what we'll accept from God. God, if you will, has a dietary plan for us that is wholesome, that is good, that is perfect for us. And so we need to take and accept that and say, yes, Lord, I'll, I'll eat that. I'll do that. That's the bread I'll eat today. It's his good purpose for us to accept his joy in Christ in that way. Last slide. Last slide. Let's look at two additional things before we, before we leave. God's will for me is to look starkly different in this world. To look different than this culture looks. You and I should live out and walk out our salvation in this world looking much different than this culture. I don't mean by our clothes or our hair or no hair. I mean, of course, in our spirit, in the way we conduct ourselves. And God's will for me will never be contrary to the word of God. It'll never conflict with his word. If we think there's something in our life that God is calling us to or a decision we're gonna make or a response we're going to give and in our hearts, we believe that might be the will of God. And if it conflicts with his word, we can be assured that is not the will of God. Philippians 2:14, Paul continues, do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. God wants us to be that straight stick that he lays down next to all those crooked and warped sticks of this world. And he can say, look at that. That's my child. That's the one that I redeemed and is following and obeying me. And he says, so that you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of truth holding firmly to the word of truth, going to God's word continually, holding firmly, obeying it, and following him. So let me ask. We know that God's will is for everyone to be saved. Have you been saved? Ask yourself that question. Have I trusted Jesus Christ as my savior? You can do that today. You can say, I accept and believe you, Jesus what you did for me on the cross, dying for my sins and raising again the third day. That's all God calls us to do is to believe and then to confess his name. Tell that to somebody. Tell somebody that you have trusted Christ as your savior. And then Christian, child of God, is there something in your life that God has pointed out and is calling you to submit to his will, to give it to his will, to cooperate your will with his will? and give this to him 
and work out your salvation in that matter of your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you love us. You love us. You redeemed us. You called us. And you continue to work out our salvation in us. Lord, we want to cooperate with you. Lord, we want to walk in step with the Spirit. Lord, we want to do your will. We not only want to say your will be done, Lord, but we want to walk and carry out and work out your will in our lives. Help these men. Help us in our families, in our workplaces, in our culture, in your church to work out our salvation with fear and with trembling as you act and will in us. In Jesus' precious name we pray, all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for tuning in to today's Bible study. For more information regarding Cottonwood Creek, go to cottonwoodcreek.org. And we hope you tune in next time for more episodes of Men's Bible Study.